Hello and welcome. As always, even though we are under the Two Generations Gaming banner, this is one guy reading. Whether you're meant to or not, you found Noob's Book Club. I'm Sean, Noob of All Trades from Two Generations Gaming, and in this series I am reading and reacting to Dragons of Fate, the second volume by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman in their latest Dragonlance series, Dragonlance Destinies. This is the finale episode of Dragons of Fate. In the next series, I'm going to read and react to Jurassic Park, as I've been saying for the last few episodes and as I've been putting in the show notes for this one. For now, I'm going to finish up the book. I'm going to give you a summary of chapters 39, 40, 41. Then I'll give you an overall reaction, and then there were some questions that I had that I wrote up at the end there. This episode is a little bit late. It should have come out on Saturday, but I've been incredibly busy and unable to sit down and write notes and record and all of that, so... You get the finale a couple of days late. I apologize for that. But without any further ado, episode 13, the finale episode, chapters 39, 40, and 41. Chapter 39. Raceland and Sturm went to walk back to Noble's Gate to wait for their companions. While waiting, they hear a sneeze and a voice saying, Drat! Tasselhoff says Raceland. The sacristy, Sturm adds. Then listen, the sounds of war. The horns of Tachesis. She comes for the Grey Gem. They go to see if Tasselhoff found Estina and Karen. While they're walking, a soldier blocks them. I'm looking for Huma. He never even stops. He only runs to find Huma. Raceland points out a sword. A great sword. The knights never use them because they are far too impractical in battle. The soldier shouts that the Minotaur took the pass in advance. Raceland asks if that actually happened in history. Sturm shrugs. The soldier continues. The armies may breach the walls. He takes his helmet off. Sturm and Raceland immediately recognized him as Mullen Tully. Raceland walks down the aisle after sending Sturm away to get Destina and go back. Sturm argues. Raceland insists. Huma and Tully talk. Huma tries to dismiss him, but he remains with the excuse that he may need to relay a message back from Huma. Raceland notices that Tully treats the sword with suspicion. Usually, you need to attune to magic items. When he gets closer, he casts a detect magic spell and sees that the sword is... In fact, magic and that Tully probably doesn't trust the magic. When he tries to shout a warning to Huma, he suffers a coughing fit. One so bad that he fears death will take him. He drops the staff and falls to his hands and knees. Chapter 40 Destina watches from a distance as Tully takes his attack position. She tries to hide the gem, but it lets off a sliver of light. She witnesses everything and feels the need to make a, a move when Raceland starts coughing. She runs out from her hiding spot to distract Tully with the gem. When she rips it from her neck, he takes a step in her direction. The gem flares, burning her, and she drops it. It flies high to the rotunda and puts off a pall of gray light, a dull sun in the sky of the temple. Tully, perhaps emboldened by the gem, chooses this moment to attack. Both Destina and Sturm move quickly to stop him. Raceland, in spite of his coughing fit, tries to reach his staff. The sword glows red and slices easily into Gwyneth's scales shattering bone and burying deep into the heart. She tries to break free, but is impaled and dying. Tully then pulls the sword free. She shudders and sinks slow in front of the statue of Paladine. Awaiting death, she looks to Huma. He knows Tully comes for him next, but ignores him. All he cares about now is her. He goes to her. Sturm shouts a warning. Huma ignores it, and Tully takes the killing blow. You stabbed him in the back. Well, his back was to me. I know, kind of an inappropriate joke, but it's what I thought of. I can't remember what movie it's from. If you remember, let me know in the, the comments. I could look it up on Google, but 
hey, if you let me know in the comments, maybe you'll get something for it. Sturm swings to behead the man. He ducks and strikes back. Sturm's armor deflects it from killing. He falls to the floor. Raceland covers to staunch the bleeding with his own blood-covered handkerchief. The gem flies down to rest at Tully's feet. He picks it up. When he sees Destina charging at him, he throws the gem at her and goes for the attack. The sword flies from his hands that are wet with the blood. Destina throws it to the side. It shatters. She then picks it up and tries to run. The gem. Tully grabs her by the hair and threatens to kill her. What a nice guy, huh? A whirling dervish thumps him on the head with a hoopack. He sways on his feet, lashing out at Taz. Taz hits him on the knuckles and then the head again. Tully falls to the floor. Smiling, he sees the staff of Magius close. He picks it up. Raceland speaks to the staff. He is yours, Magius. Avenge your friend. The staff flares red. Flames shoot from the crystal and consume Kali. He runs, only fanning the flames. He melts and dies, only as a stain on the floor. The staff returns to Raceland. What a good death for him. Fuck that guy. The tower shakes with the sound of thunder and the cries of victory from Tachesis. Paladine's altar crumbles. The dragon lances clatter to the ground. One rests near Huma's corpse. A bitter end. The tower has fallen. They need to go. Karen panics. He left his rucksack back in the sacristy. This rucksack? Taz, of course. Karen takes out the device. They must all place their hands, and he will take them back. Rayson places an unconscious Sturm's hand under his own. Karen says the spell. The enemy rejoices. Destina vows to make this right. The river of time takes them. Chapter 41. Deposits Karen in the shadows of a huge Valenwood tree. He needs a moment, but he also must be aware that someone might have seen him. The sun is setting. The leaves are changing. They made it. He can leave Sturm and Raceland here and then return the rest to his own time. To his surprise and concern, he hears no voices. At least Taz should be blabbing about the journey, right? He looks around and sees none of them. Maybe Raceland and Sturm are already in the inn? But what of Destina and Taz? Well, only one way to find out. As he ascends, he shivers from dread. The inn is far too quiet. When he makes it to the top of the stairs, he sees two Draconians guarding the door. I think this might be the first time that we meet the Draconians because Weiss and Hickman take some time to explain. Basically, the Dark Queen's magic created them by corrupting the eggs of good dragons. They resemble humanoid dragons, and they are the main antagonists of the War of the Lance. Oh, crap. This is not good at all. They call out to him, note that his name is not on some list, and then search his bag. They find the device, but he convinces them that it's only a child's toy. You may enter. He sends a prayer of thanks and enters. The fire blazes bright. He lets his eyes adjust and searches the patrons of the inn. The search is short, as the inn is mostly empty. He sees two people, one tall man and the other woman with hair the color of gold and moonlight. She carries a staff. Karen recognizes them. He recognizes others as well. He sees a robed old man in the corner. He also sees Kidiara Uthmatar, Dragon High Lord of the Blue Dragon Army, half-sister of Karaman and Raceland. She sits alone. She calls out to Tika. Tika says she'll be over in a moment. Tika drops a plate of potatoes and comes over. Have you seen Tannis? Tika says no. While she wants to see Karaman, she supposes that they just forgot about the reunion. Tika asks Karen to sit. Two people notice. Hedrick and the old robed man who warns him off. He takes that advice. Stop him! Hedrick shouts. Stop the foul monk! Karen protests. Hedrick insists. You wear the gray of the false god Gillian. They raise the library 
but apparently some of you vermin survived. Hedrick looks to Kitiara. She ignores him. Tika intervenes. Shut up and eat your potatoes. I'll get you pie. He insists and demands Kitiara do something. Opening the door, he finds himself face to face with a black-robed Raistlin. I wondered where you were. He distracts Hedrick with the pie. Karaman agrees and vaguely threatens Hedrick to get him off Karen's case. Raistlin suggests talking outside to Karen. Karaman asks after Raistlin's head if it feels better, and when the mage says yes, he goes for that pie. Raistlin asks the Bozaks for privacy. They defer to him. They defer to him and walk away. Where are they? No idea. What happened? History is indeed changed. The device dropped me in these robes. I came upon Karaman and faked a concussion and amnesia. They are in the Blue Dragon Army. Kitiara has a base in Salamnia, but traveled for the reunion. Are the others here? No. Kitiara keeps asking about Tanis, but he's not here. However, I saw Riverwind and Goldmoon. I fear for their safety here. She has the staff? Yes, and the Draconians are looking for it. Karaman interrupts. Kit's looking for you, Raced. In a moment. I must go. You too. Can we fix this? Find Estina first and ask Astinus. Raceland distracts the Draconians and Karen leaves. He's so distracted himself that he nearly tumbles to his death. Once clear, he pulls out the device and travels to his own time. To be continued. And now for my reaction. Since the last episode and only Kit, the Draconians, and Hedrick get introduced... I will go right to what I like the least and best. Then I will discuss a few questions, as I mentioned earlier, that I have while I wait for the next book. What I liked least. At the risk of oversimplifying things, the book is over. While the first book was inconsistent, and I went from hating it to loving it to feeling indifferent about it, I enjoyed this one from cover to cover. The only times I didn't like the book were the times where I thought the Taz parts were annoying. Thankfully, those were few and far between. And honestly, by the end of the book, I actually rooted for the little guy. Yes, I rolled my eyes when he came out from out of nowhere to save the day at the end once again. But it led to one of the questions that I will ask at the end of this episode. So not all bad after all. While I'm at the end of Volume 1 with indifference at best, I'm sad to see this one end. They kept me entertained through the entire book. That's my least enjoy. The wait for the next book. Sure, they corrupted my favorite group of heroes. Or did they? I mean, Hedrick is the same, more or less. He decries the heathens. In this timeline... He's right. Kitiara, too. She still commands the Blue Dragon Army. But since Takesis won, she serves a greater purpose. The rest of the companions, though? They've been changed as far as we know. Or have they? I argue that Weiss and Hickman leave it just open enough for interpretation. More on that, as, more on that later as well. Even with all of that, parenthetically, or maybe including that, I lament the end of the book as my least favorite. What I liked best. So much to pick from these three chapters. The battle that saw Huma and Gwyneth assassinated by Tully was suspenseful and action-packed. I honestly never knew what to expect next. I thought that Huma and Gwyneth might somehow survive the ambush, but they effectively and efficiently disposed of the only two things standing in the way of Takesis's reign. Then we get a retelling of the night of the planned companion's reunion. Weiss and Hickman spare no one in their nightmare scenario. The Dark Queen, as far as we know, rules all of Ancelon. Since we get no other viewpoints, I can't say for certain. I imagine it's like the first Star Wars movie, with small packs of resistance. Honestly, I think I like that part best. While I guess most of the changes, they hit me with a few surprises. Raceland in the back robes made me sad at first, but when he revealed himself, I was relieved. And then, I got another idea that I'll discuss in a few minutes. So I will take the easy way out again, and just say the ending is my favorite. 
I mentioned before that I can forgive a so-so story as long as they nail the ending. I think that we all hold a special place in our hearts for a great story with a great ending, even if it is a cliffhanger. And now for some questions I had. Are these books all in Tasselhoff's imagination? After I rolled my eyes at Taz rescuing the day once again, I had another thought. What if all these stories and adventures are simply made up by Taz? Like they get to the end of the last book, there's an epilogue. A crowd of kinder children look up to an elderly Taz. Tell us another, Grandpa Taz. Let's look at the facts. A kinder went into the abyss and lived to tell the tale. Twice now, he traveled through time. He always finds himself in a position to save the day. Not only did he save them from Tully, but he also just happened to have the rucksack with the device. I mean, think about it. Everyone treats him as a thief. Even his own companions often tell him to be quiet or get out of their hair. He dreams of being a hero, so he concocts all of these crazy scenarios in his head. I went to the abyss, found a dragon orb, ran away from a demon, went back in time to save time, but ended up breaking it instead. And boy, was it broken. But then I helped fix it too. Yeah, maybe I've just seen too many TV shows or movies where they have that sort of, not really, it was a dream ending, but... The ending where it gets like the whole thing is made up by somebody because they're crazy or what have you. I just had the thought. I figured I would explore it. I mean, what, we have at least another year until the next book comes out. So we got to do something with that time. Along those lines, is Raceland a double agent? He's wearing the black robes. Yes, it makes sense in the context of the corrupted timeline. They work alongside Kidiara in the Blue Dragon Army. And he immediately recognizes and helps Karen. But... He proved himself to be very resourceful and devious. What if he found a way to know through the river of time about Karen and the others? He waits for the fateful night and meets with Karen. Pretends to be the Raceland that Karen knows. Sends him back to his own time to try to find a way to fix things. Several issues there. One, Hedrick calls Gillian a false god. If Asinus is Gillian and he is dead or his power diminished or stripped, what help will he be? Two, the library was raised and the acolytes exterminated. So did Raceland send Karen into an impossible mission, impossibly a trap? Maybe the River of Time hasn't updated yet. They say that sometimes it takes a little while to get there, so maybe it hasn't quite gotten to Karen's time yet. I don't know. We'll find out in the next book. There's no way to say for certain, but you have to admit that the idea has merit, right? Now I don't know if I want my original head Kanan to be true, or this new one. I think I would still be devastated if Raceland turns out evil, so I'm rooting for his redemption. What of the gods? I made the connection parenthetically late, I admit, that the missing moons and constellations probably meant that Tachesis, parenthetically, or someone, killed the gods. By all indications, that hasn't happened yet. Even though Hedrick calls Gillian a false god, we know that at least one god lives on in this timeline. Karen sees Fizban, Paladine's avatar, in the end of the last home. He never showed when Destina arrived with the Grey Gem. However, he braves the Dark Queen's stronghold. Why? The only two from that first night that survived Dark Queen's influence, as far as we know, are Goldmoon and Riverwind. Will their miracle alone be enough to turn the tide and bring balance back to Kryn? Unlikely, but anything is possible with the Grey Gem. The point remains that the gods still exist. If Takis is killed, parenthetically, or otherwise renders them inert and parenthetical, it hasn't happened yet, as far as we know. We will probably get more answers in the next book when Karen makes it back to his time. And I, for one, cannot wait. And now for my final question, which kind of wraps all of this up. What actually changed? What I mean by this is that, other than Takesis winning, I argue that not much changed. Granted, a power-hungry god with a penchant for evil being in charge is a bit of a shock to the system. 
but I argue that the magic of their storytelling is in the fact that they don't change their personalities. If I didn't know any better, I'd assume that the blue dragon army changing time was merely a setback instead of a world-altering event. Hedrick still harasses the false prophets. Tika still laughs and jokes with the clientele. She mentions how good it would be to see Caraman. Kit pines after Tannis. Caraman cares first about food and flirting with Tika. These are the people that we know and love, but they're evil. Well, evil adjacent, at least. Damn. I can't wait for that next book. Alas, though, all I can do is wait. Here's hoping I get considered for a promo copy to review. That's all she wrote for Dragons of Fate. As always, thanks for listening. You can find us if you haven't already at www.twoguysgaming.net. We have articles. There haven't been a ton of articles this week because I've been getting caught up on the podcast and the YouTube. But I will be back next week with my comic reviews. And after that, I'm going to do some Dungeons and Dragons stuff. We're going to do some Ixalan stuff. There's also another podcast. I'm going to put up the latest episode, the Spooktober episode of Two Guys Gaming. After I do this one, there's a link to our socials, including that mentioned YouTube page earlier. I will be back on Saturday with the first episode of Jurassic Park of Noobs Book Club. Talk to you then. Bye, guys. We are...